0: Open up to Romans chapter six. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, We're going to be starting in verse twelve. As you're turning there, just to in case you were coming in late, or just to reiterate some of the things that Mike was referencing. um, If you've been looking for a way to get involved, whether you're third grade and up, anywhere in that range, um, tonight and this week is the time to do that. We'll be starting our Abide ministry for, for student ministry tonight um, at, at 5.30. And then for the adults, we'll be starting for the very first time in the seven-year history, I guess, of Connect Church, uh, a teaching time on Sunday evening. We look at God's big picture. So we're only looking at an hour, so we're not looking at, you know, a three- or four-hour deal. Um, we're trying to make it as convenient for those that have kids, so you can get to Awana over a Turner's Chapel or if you have kids in abide here. Um, but then also... Um, make sure you've signed up to be in a connect group. Um, we've got the sign-ups are online. If you've got questions, let me know. But a lot of those groups will start meeting as early as, I believe, tomorrow night is our first group. Um, we've got groups meeting uh, Monday night and Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever the, the nights may be, Friday night. So, um, And in light of that, one thing I would mention, and, and this is just a way of announcements too, um, just going back to our discussion as a church a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the – opportunities that have presented themselves with uh, new life praise and, and how to how we can help them. And we're continuing just to gather, you know, your feedback and just to see where God's leading us, where God's leading them, and um, not a whole lot's changed there. But as you get into your groups, it might be a really good time to have some discussion um, with your group, to kind of see what, you know, what questions you might have. Uh, hopefully your group leader will be able to answer those questions and just kind of bounce some things off of each other. I know we don't always get a chance to do that on Sunday morning, which is why a Sunday evening or a connect group is a good time to do that. So, And then group leaders, if you please just communicate that back to me or a vision team member, we just want to make the most informed decisions that we can with the whole uh, with the whole body in mind. And so the, one of the best ways to, to have those conversations is in your group. So looking forward to groups getting started, uh, looking forward to tonight as we get into some uh, some Bible study and all the different things that are starting up. So, um, as we come to, to chapter six, we're gonna we're actually gonna wrap up chapter six today. And originally, I had not really planned to do that, but then as, as I was going through it, I said, hey, kind of, I don't want to break this up because I don't want to lose the the main point, uh, the main idea of this second half of chapter six. And I think if I were to break this up into a couple of weeks, it would it would probably do that. So. We're going to look at the last half of chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 12. And if you look in verse 12, uh, and you might have already read that, hopefully, in preparation for today, one of the words you see there in verse 12 is therefore. And I've said this before, but when you see that word, therefore, you always need to ask, what is it therefore? Specifically, when we're starting with a verse in verse 12, because obviously we're not covering verses 1 through 11. We've covered that the last couple of weeks we need to always remember what it's there for. And so that therefore, when we get into this text, is referring back to everything that Paul has laid out, verses 1 through 11. So the things we talked about last week, the things we talked about in verses 1 through 4, Paul says all that and he says, now therefore, okay, so we need to understand it all links back. So if you've missed uh, one of those messages or maybe you haven't read verses 1 through 11, you might be, what is he talking about? That's if you can draw arrows in your Bibles, whatever that, therefore, should be pointing right back up into verses one through eleven. So I always want to mention that when we get it when we start a passage, when the third or fourth word is therefore. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to dive into this scripture. Um, a lot of practical stuff today in terms of our walk with Christ. And again, a lot of this letter, especially at this point, Paul is writing to the believer. Okay, um, he's addressed the, the non-believer earlier, but He's addressing the believer in the church in Rome. So he's, this, is a, this is a passage that is directly to you and for you if you're a believer in, in Jesus, okay? So I'm going to start in verse 12 and just gonna kind of read straight through to the end. Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're going to break this passage down and, and look at three main kind of focuses, and and kind of breaks down a lot of the a lot of your Bibles will have a separation there with uh, the paragraphs, and that's kind of how I broke this down, but. The three areas we're going to look at in those first few verses, 12 to 14, freedom from sin, which therefore results in, number two, we become slaves to righteousness in that middle portion, and then that leads to fruit or the fruit of sanctification in that last part. So freedom from sin, and it's all kind of building one on the other. So freedom from sin leads to slaves in righteousness, which results in fruit of sanctification. So if we start with the freedom from sin that we have that Paul talks about in those first couple of verses, look there again. He says, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And this is where you can see the real picture of freedom. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you're under grace. So what Paul is issuing here is a warning to believers, not allow sin to reign in your bodies. And if you think about that, that is because your body, your flesh, is the only place that sin can attack. You know, why the sin cannot, you know what Paul does not say here? Paul does not say uh, issue a warning to you about your soul or about your spirit, that be on guard against your soul because sin can attack there. Sin cannot attack your soul. Your soul, if you're in Christ, you are secure for eternity. But he says, guess what? Protect your mortal bodies. Protect your flesh because in that area is where sin will continue to attack. Uh, One commentator referred to the flesh, our bodies, as sin's last beachhead. Like you think about a beachhead being, you know, that's the last stronghold the enemy has. That's all he's got left, and he's going to attack over and over and over in your flesh because your soul has been secured. That's why Paul doesn't issue a warning about your soul. He knows he's speaking to believers, and it's been secure. So he says, be careful in your bodies, in your flesh, because that is where the, 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 the war will be waged. Warfare will always be waged on a daily basis as long as we're in the flesh. This, this warning is very similar to what Paul would say later in this book, in this same letter in Romans 12, 1. Y'all are probably familiar with this verse. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present what? Your bodies, your flesh, the one area of warfare, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The one thing we have To submit on a daily basis is our flesh, is our bodies. You don't have to say the prayer of salvation every single day. That was, you know, once in Christ, always in Christ, your soul is secure. But your body and your flesh has to be moment by moment by moment, day by day, week by week, submitted to the will of God. And and as Paul says there, submit therefore by the mercies of God to present your, your flesh, to present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. See, Paul is conveying the truth that when we are in Christ, we are free from sin's slavery. And we now have the freedom to grow in our new life of grace through obedience as we present our bodies, our behaviors, our attitudes, our words as instruments of righteousness In other words, what he's saying is we should be little by little growing closer to Christ and further from sin. On a moment-by-moment basis, on a day-by-day basis, on a week-by-week basis, it should be a furthering process of growth because now we are not under the domain and the reign of sin because of the victory of Jesus' death and resurrection. It reminds me of the story I read recently, this passage where little girl had fell, fell asleep in her bed, and I've actually witnessed this, witnessed this with both of my own kids at different times, even here recently somewhat, but little girl fell asleep in her bed one night, she turned over, and she fell out of her bed, she fell onto the floor, and made a you know, pretty large crash, and if, you've had, if you have kids, you probably have seen that happen at some point. Well, when the little girl's mother rushed in, she heard the, you know her body hitting the floor, and she rushes in to see what was going on, and she finds her daughter laying on the floor, and the mom... Uh, asked her daughter, how in the world did you you fall off your bed? And I think in the instances where I've seen my kids do that, I'm like, how did that, you know, that's one of the things you ask immediately. And the daughter responded, she said, Mom, I, I think I stayed too close to the place where I got in. And if you think about that, that's very, very true when it comes to our spiritual walk. A lot of us stay too close to the place where we got in. So it's been 15 years or it's been five years when we said, you know what, I want to submit my life to Christ. I want to follow him. And we look back over those five years, those 15 years, those 50 years. And you know what, we had, we're not really that much further than the place we got in. And so then all of a sudden we're surprised when the flesh comes calling and there's war on our flesh and there's sin. And we make just a little move and all of a sudden we fall out. We're on, the, on our faces on the ground, in sin. We're like, how did, I, how did I go from, I've been walking with the Lord for, for 15 years. You might have been, but you never really have moved into the center of the bed. You're still laying on the edge. Like that little girl, you, you can imagine that. She got into bed, she was tired, and she was totally satisfied in staying in that one spot. And because she stayed in that one spot, it didn't take anything for her just to make one little movement, boom, she's on the bed. She's on the floor, and she is completely, you know, off the rocker, so to speak, and when it comes to getting her rest. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We must be growing. We must be, we mu- we must be able to look back in, in five months, in five years, in whatever time, and say, you know what, I may not be where I want to go, but I've come a long way from where I was. And if we can't look back on that, then we've got to ask ourselves, are we still sitting on the edge of the bed? We're satisfied to be in the bed. That's all we want. The problem with that is, just like with that little girl, is that's not going to last. Because very soon, sin's going to come calling. Battles are going to come raging. And if you're not aligned in the center of God's will, you're going to fall off to the right or to the left very, very easily. And you're going to fall into the entanglement of sin. And you're going to be laying face down on the floor, but in a much worse situation with sin entangling you and not living a life full of grace that God has given us to live in. So if we're free from sin, which leads us into the second point, which is we become slaves to righteousness. And let me, let me read that passage for you. It, it's, this is what Paul says, okay. So we're free from sin, and then Paul says, okay, so what? What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. You have an exclamation point there. By no means. That's, he's saying do not. That's not what I'm saying. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification, which leading to sanctification. Those first couple of verses there, Paul's asking some very intense rhetorical questions that should sound very, very similar to what we discussed about, I don't know what, maybe two, three weeks ago, Romans 6, first part of the chapter, look at what he says. He's repeating this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He even answers the question the same way. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's verses 1 through 4. They sound just like verses 15 to 19. When you see something in Scripture repeated, pay attention. And when you see something in Scripture repeated in the same chapter, especially pay attention. Paul is hitting home it's like he's taking that nail and he's hammering and hammering and hammering. It's the same nail and he just keeps hammering the same point in a different way. And he says in verse 19, he says, guys, I'm trying to speak to you in human terms. In other words, I'm trying to teach you in a way that you would understand. And he's using the analogy of slaves and slave owners because that would have been something that at this point in Rome, everybody would have understood. Just a little history here. There were an estimated 120 million people living in the Roman Empire roughly about this time, and half, roughly half of those were believed to be slaves. It wasn't like slavery was just a little small pocket. Uh, slavery was half the people, half the population would have been slaves. So the church, we can assume, would have been likely made up of 50-50 likely. Now, again, we talk about biblical, the, the slavery in, in the Bible very much totally different in many, many ways than what we know slavery to be in the United States. A lot of times people would sign up. They were volunteers to go into slavery because it offered so many benefits to their families. A lot of times they were involuntary slaves. It was, it was a very different scene. So don't think about it in terms of United States slavery and all the, the stuff that came with that. It's a very different context of slavery. So you're talking, if we're in a room right now and we've got 50 people, very likely 25 were slave owners and very likely 25 were slaves. So And that's what Paul's talking to here is he's saying, this is something you can understand. I'm speaking to you so that you can understand it. And let me just make a a quick side point, not getting off on a tangent, but when you share your faith, when you speak to others about your walk with Christ, whether it's a believer or a non-believer, and especially if it's a non-believer, you need to attempt to relate to them in a way they can understand it. Not that you understand it, that they can understand it. That's why Paul brings out slaves and slave owners. That has nothing really to do with his text. It's just an analogy. It's just a parallel. Paul said, you guys know how slaves and slave owners work? The one to whom you're obedient, that's who you're a slave to. Jesus said that. The one who you listen to, you are the slave to. So we need to be able to relate our testimony and our walk with the Lord, especially to non-believers, in a way they can understand. Without using a lot of big church words, without using a lot of big theological words, is... We need to be able to speak to them where they are, not where you are, and that's so important because so many times I've heard uh, Christians try to share their faith with a non-Christian, and man, their motivation's good and their intentions good, but they're speaking so far above their head. Like, man, I am I am sanctified by the grace of God. Hallelujah! What in the world does that mean? You have to speak in general terms, in common everyday terms. That's what Paul's doing. He's speaking in. Common, everyday language. And he says, I'm, I'm doing that because we're limited in our understanding of how this works. And if you think about this analogy that Paul's talking about here with slaves and slave owners, it's a really good comparison because if you think about our relationship with sin as being our slave master before you're in Christ, and then Christ coming to set us free from that dominion and that ownership, it, it puts everything in perfect perspective. This is what I mean by that. If Imagine you were held in slavery for any against your will for any length of time, you know, a day, a year, whatever. Uh, and then suddenly you found a means of salvation. You found a means to freedom, and you're free. Do you think at any point when reaching that freedom, when reaching that salvation, that you would decide to, It'd be a good idea for you to maybe hang around the slave owner's house. Like that's this was who was owning me and who I was they were my master. I've been set free, but I think there's a house next door. I think that's a good place for me to set up shop. That's where I'm going to live. Is that where you're going to go live? That's not where I'm going to go live. I'm going to get as far away from my slave owner as I possibly can. I don't want to get back into slavery. He might change his mind. He might see me. He might the whole thing might re, re come, back, come back up and I might be in slavery. Again, and I think this is, this is where the problem we have right now in a lot of our lives as believers, we have not run fast enough, and we've not run far enough from sin. You know what? We get free from sin, yes, in Christ, and we say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up my shop, my lifestyle, as close to my slave owner as I can. I don't think it'll be a big deal. I mean, he's, he's not going to come back into my life. I'll just stay right here and make it comfortable for me. That's your slave owner. He wants to have reign and dominion over your flesh. You don't need to be anywhere near that. You need to find a place as far away from that as you possibly can be. You need to run as fast and as far as possible. Think about it. You've been set free from that. Why would you want to flirt back with the idea of, yeah, I mean, I'm free. He's he's not going to have any hold on me now. Your soul, correct, but your flesh, you're incorrect. He will have a hold. The the enemy and your flesh will take hold of you. Not your soul, but your flesh. That's why this is so important that we understand this text, that we are not running like we should, fast enough and far enough from sin. It's crazy that it always is a repeating cycle. If you look at verse 19, I just read it, but he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members, your body, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. See, you don't realize this, and I don't realize this, but everything we're doing in our life is a cycle, and it's a a cycle that's on repeat. It's like a wash machine. When you press it, and you're going to put it in five cycles, it's going to wash until you tell it to stop washing. And so what Paul's saying there is when you're leading into sin and into impurity, he said what? That's lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So you might be on a spin cycle of negative. You're on a negative spiral. Or, as Paul says, the same can be true on the positive side. As you present yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which, what does he say? Leading to sanctification. So you've got to think about which, which spin cycle are you on? Because you're on one of them. I guarantee you that's repeating in your life, and you're seeing either going up and being sanctified and you're looking back over the last five years of your life and thinking, man, I am so glad that I've grown that much. I have a long way to go, yes, but I'm so glad I'm not where I was, right? Or you're in a downward spiral and you can't get out. And it's lawlessness and lawlessness and lawlessness and impurity and impurity. And Paul said, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be. We've got to change the cycle if we're on the negative side because the positive is leading to sanctification, and that's that third and last point here in verses 20 to 23 is the fruit, the fruit of sanctification. If there's any encouragement in this passage, in this this chapter, it's right here. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? That's, That's a heavy sentence, by the way, a very heavy sentence. How, how, he said, how excited are you about the fruit you produced when you were living in that downward spiral? He said, how, how do you feel now? Because now you're ashamed of those things. He says, for the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, growth, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 20 there, Paul says, when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. Meaning that b- before we were connected to Christ, we had absolutely no connection to righteousness. There's, there's a total separation there. And people say, well, I know people that aren't believers, and they, they do good things, and they, you know, they send good things to, um, you know, they may have donated to hurricane relief, or they may have done some really good things in their life, and that's awesome, and that's, we, we commend that, but there's still a, there's no connection to righteousness. There's, there's no connection to Christ. There might be a connection to some good works, but there's not a connection to righteousness. There's total separation. And what Paul says there is that the penalty of that way of living is death. That's literally what he says. And he's re- re- specifically referring to the second death, not a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He's talking about an eternity away from the presence of God. He's talking about eternity in hell, a real place that exists where God's presence does not exist. It is the worst death, it is the spiritual death. But then in verse 22, Paul says, Hang on just a second. But now that you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. So understand what Paul's saying here. We've not only been set free from the eternal penalty of sin, which is the second death. Hallelujah, right? But we've also been set free from the current and present consequences of sin. And that is the enslavement of sin here on earth. Paul is saying that we are no longer enslaved. We are no longer helpless right now to fight sin. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we receive, as he says, we get the fruit that leads to sanctification and eternal life with Christ. So a lot of times we use these verses and we talk about for the, for the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yes, amen, awesome, we believe that. But there's also a fruit that is to come here and now that we are not helpless to sin, that we must wage war on sin. I remember going several years when I was the youth pastor at Turner's Chapel, we would go to Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, and I was just, this has always been in my mind ever since then, and it was almost like every year we went, they'd have different um, teaching, uh, different, um, very expositional teaching from the Word, but one of the things they always talked about in their small groups, in their preaching, in their teaching, was really one simple concept. They even had shirts that had this made. I don't think I have one. Maybe some of y'all do if y'all went, but uh, it said, you know, something along the lines of make war on sin. Very simply, make war on sin. And everything they preached was based around that concept. And I was thinking, man, that's I had never heard that before I had been there. I'm like, I know we're not supposed to sin. I know we're not supposed to get away from sin. And we don't want to, you know, cross the line. But I've never heard make war. Make war on sin. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, you're not helpless now. Don't just say, well, I'm still in the flesh and I'm going to have to submit to sin again. No, it's, not, it's about eternity, but it's also about now. That The finished work of cross leads to sanctification now. That the fruit of the Spirit is now. And that's what leads into that very last verse. Many of you have memorized it as well you should. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You guys know what wages are? Everybody in this room does. There's something that you earn, something that you deserve. When you work all month and you put in your, you know, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, at the end of that week or the end of that month, you expect to get paid. You know why? Because you earned it. You deserve it. That was the contract you signed up for. No big deal. Well, in this case, it is a very big deal. It says that the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death is what you have earned. It's what I have earned. Spiritual death is what we deserve because of our sin. When you see wages of sin, that means we've worked pretty hard to earn that. That's what that means. The wages is something we earned. We deserve it. And yet, a gift is something that is free. You think of any gift you've ever been given... And there's no way you could have ever done anything that was enough to receive that gift, right? Whether it's a small gift, expensive gift, inexpensive, it's just a gift. I'm just giving this to you. It's free. It's undeserved. And in this case, it is the free gift of God and eternal life in Christ Jesus. Something we never, ever could possibly earn or ever possibly deserve. When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he put it this way. He's saying the exact same thing in Romans 6 as he's saying in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is what? The gift. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. I'll leave you with a quote that I believe summarizes this passage well. Pastor John MacArthur said it this way as it relates to Romans 6. He said, Jesus Christ is the only way, and his highlight was only and way. Jesus Christ is the only way from sin to righteousness, from damnation to salvation, from eternal death to eternal life. From sin to righteousness, from damnation to salvation, from eternal death to eternal life. As the, as the band, you guys can come on out. We're going to close. As they're coming, though, I want to understand, understand one thing. We have to understand that we have, we're free from sin, first of all. If you don't understand your freedom from sin, you're not going to be a slave to righteousness. So you have been freed right now from sin. Then it moves you into being slaves of righteousness. And then third and finally, we get to receive the fruit of sanctification, meaning we are to continually pursue Christ in an effort to grow moment by moment. So here's where I would challenge you guys this morning. How many of you can say this morning that your life is a reflection of this passage? That your life truly reflects this sanctification process of spiritual growth, spiritual growth, spiritual fruit, spiritual fruit. Or how many of you, if you're honest, would say, Something just like that little girl who fell out of her bed said, and that is maybe I've stayed too close to the place that I got in, to the place where I started. If you're in Christ, and I know I'm speaking to a room and an audience that is in Christ, most of you, then you are called to grow, to be sanctified and to go deeper and deeper and deeper and be more mature in your faith than when you first started. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we being obedient? Or are we being apathetic? Are we, are we satisfied with just getting in the bed? My, my, my salvation secure. I'm never going to see hell. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to stay right here on the side of the bed. Thank you. I'm good. Or are we going to try to actually move a little bit further off the edge of the bed and try to grow a little bit into being sanctified, being set apart for the work of the Lord? Lord, I pray that we would grow. That's my, that's my prayer. It's just real simple this morning. That we would grow. I feel like that we all go through seasons, Lord, that um, we feel satisfied in staying on the edge of the bed. And then we are totally confused and we're just blown away when we trip and we fall just with a little sin and we end up flat on our face, just like that little girl fell out of the bed. Well, that's, that's not, That should not be shocking to us. If we're not growing then we're going, we're regressing. There's not a neutral ground in this. We're either spiraling up or we're spiraling down. We're either seeing spiritual fruit or we're seeing fruits of the flesh. And and Lord, I know in this room this morning, there's a lot of believers, a lot of people that have submitted themselves to your will and your call, and they want to follow you, they want to be obedient to you. But for whatever reason... A lot of us have not got off the edge of the bed. And, Lord, it's time that we start growing. It's time we start going deeper. Deeper in the Word, deeper in prayer, deeper in relationships, deeper in community, deeper in service. Move us, Father. Move us out of our comfort zone on the side of that bed and living like little immature Christians and move us into something deeper something greater. And Lord, yes, there's opportunities to do that here through this church. And that's why we provide these things. We don't, we don't have a Sunday night teaching time just to say we have a Sunday night teaching time. That's to provide depth. And Lord, I pray that people would see that. We don't have connect groups just to say, oh, I met with a group of people this week. We do that, Lord, so that people will grow deeper in their relationship with you and with each other. Lord, everything we talked about, Everything Michael was announcing this morning is done on purpose for a reason, and that is sanctification. That the believer would be continually set apart for you and your service. Lord, may we when we hear somebody talk about servant teams, that that would be so heavy on our heart. Yeah, I might be serving, but can I serve somewhere else? Can I serve? Can I serve? Can I do more? Or maybe I haven't been serving and, and, and God, it's time that I get up and I serve. I might not be able to serve in every place, but I can serve in some place. I don't know where you're calling people. It might be areas of service. It might be areas of community. It might be areas of just personal Bible study and getting up and spending time with you. I, that's not for me to know or for me to guess, but I can imagine, just based on what I know that you're doing in my life, that it's probably all Of those areas. It's probably a little bit here and a little bit there. But Lord, I pray as you as you work in our hearts that we would actually make practical decisions that reflect that we want to grow. Because we're not going to grow sleeping in an extra hour. We're not going to grow. I'll go to Connect Group next term. We're not going to grow, I'll spend more time in prayer tomorrow. Those are not practical decisions that lead to sanctification. Lord, I pray you would convict us all. Convict me. Convict me of areas where I need to grow. Where my walk with you is as shallow as a kiddie pool. And I need to get off the kiddie pool. I need to get in the deep end. And Lord, I know I'm not alone in that. I pray that you would push us all to that area, to that place. It's in your name we pray. Amen.